Y'all, I say this every August, and I mean it. I feel like this is my church, a home from my church. So thank you for, uh, thanks for always being so generous to me. And at some point, Pam will actually be here with me. She was fussing because she had childcare this morning and she couldn't get out of it. So I am married, and she does want to be here. Um, I just want to thank you guys for that, uh, just always having me. I'm, I'm thankful that Aaron needs a break in August. It gives me a chance to, to teach God's Word, so thank you. Um, behind me here, um, we've got a screen. Um, God laid out my heart this, when life doesn't make sense. Anybody ever had those moments that life just doesn't make sense? Yeah. Lose a spouse, lose a child, diagnosed with cancer, something happens, some catastrophe takes place. Life just doesn't seem to make sense. And so when that happens, what do we do? What's the scripture say? And um, what I wanted to do to start this morning, we're going to go through four stories in the Bible that I believe these four people all had this in mind. Life just doesn't make sense. And they went to Jesus for help. And these are stories in the Bible. And, and what I brought with me this morning are a few stories about young people that Youth for Christ reaches in this community, that you help us do that. And I've asked Pastor Greg to read through these stories, and and we both would agree that life isn't making too much sense for them right now, if you guys could listen. I wish you knew that despite the fact that I love God, I struggle with addiction, senior boy. I wish you knew that I was recently taken away from my parents and was adopted by a different family, junior boy. As you can see, just through these five stories, these young people, life's, life's not making too much sense for them right now. And they're looking for answers. They're looking for hope. And I'm going to take you guys to, uh, so I've been spending about the last three years, I've felt led to study the book of Luke over and over and over again. And every time I try to get out of it, God brings me right back to it. You ever have those moments and you're like, Lord, I want to read another book. And he's like, nope, I want you to spend some time in Luke. And so it really... I was telling Greg, I feel like studying it for three years, I had to be able to quote it now, but fortunately, I'm not able to. But it's been just a a book rich with stories and stuff, and so near the end of the sermon today, I'm going to present to you the the verse where it talks about God giving Jesus the name above all names, and that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, and I could not figure out why that verse kept, kept coming to my mind, it just over and over and over again. But as we dig through this, hopefully you'll be able to see what God was trying to show me through that verse and how it fits with these um, four stories. And so to to dive in, let's do this. Um, I want to show you guys something here. Okay. So here's a map here that I I pulled out. And we're going to walk through four stories together today. And um, the first one is going to talk about when Jesus healed the paralyzed man who was brought to him by four of his faithful friends. Jesus calls Matthew into ministry in Matthew chapter 9. He heals a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, and she had spent all she had uh, to find a cure on doctors in Luke 8. And then um, Jesus raises the daughter of Jairus from the dead. She was 12-year-old, his only daughter. This is what's crazy. This is what I believe that I think I've pieced together. I just felt led by the Holy Spirit to try to put together the best that I can without a lot of other helps, just laboring in the word with God, is in what, you know, kind of in what order did Jesus do things? And so I can't tell you that I'm 100% sure, but I do believe this, that this happened either on the same day or in the same week, 
And all four of these stories interact. And so let's, with that in mind, let's, let's dive right into this first story found in Mark chapter 2. And I'll read. It says, when Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. A couple things that I want to bring out in this um, verse as we dig through it. And the first one is this. I believe these four guys were the first engineers. Just want to say that. So, and here's why I say that. Um, the one area that I did look at for history was when it said all these people were here, I wanted to kind of get an idea what history said, what were the number of people that were there? And a number of different texts that I found and studies said around 1,500 people lived in Capernaum. Now, that doesn't count like other little cities around them. And you can see on this map, like there's these other surrounding towns. But let's just say this, for, for example. Let's say the house is, and there's mixed um, There's like mixed opinions about this. Let's say this. Basically, the houses that people lived in that day were not huge. And they were like houses without rooms. Or if there was an inn, it was just like two separate rooms. So Jesus is at this house. Let's say the whole town's there. Everybody was excited to see him. And, you know, when you start raising people from the dead and walking on water, you're going to draw a crowd. Amen? And so these people hurt. By the way, Jesus was on the other side of the lake here, and he cast demons out of this man and the pigs, and they were like, please leave and stuff. And so I imagine word traveled very quickly, okay? They didn't need social media back then, and word got around quick. And so let's imagine there's 1,500 people in this home. Jesus is teaching. And then here are these four friends that this man's on a six-foot mat, maybe six foot by four foot, And they're carrying him who's never been able to walk. We don't know how far they they brought him. But they bring their friend to this house. And this struck me studying the scriptures. The people were so, they were so interested in what Jesus had to say. They didn't even let this man through to him. Now, y'all listen. In those days, charity was a big thing. For when people were paralyzed or people were blind, you gave your tithe, you gave gifts to them, okay? And, and they let everybody know, like, you gave them a gift. And so people would have known this man was paralyzed. Why didn't they make a way? The man did not walk. Anyway, I imagine that question probably came in the minds of his four faithful friends. But that's the key. They were faithful And they were determined to get their friend in front of Jesus. So what do they do? I don't know exactly how they did this, but somehow one of them or two of them or four of them were smart enough to figure out they had to carry this man up the steps because homes that day had steps because they did a lot of things on the rooftops, okay, and drying things and food and stuff. And so they get him to the top. And how did they know to dig the hole right where they dug the hole, right where Jesus is at and lower him down? But they did it. And this is what's incredible. But I find another thing that's really amazing about this story is when they did this, notice what it says. It said, 
And then they lowered the man on the mat right in front of Jesus. And listen what Jesus said. Seeing their faith. Seeing the four friends' faith. Not the paralyzed man. The friend's faith. He healed him. See, what I, what I think this story talks to us about is, let's be honest. All of us in here have something that paralyzes us, and it's called sin. We all have weaknesses. And that sin puts us on a mat where we refuse to go to Jesus. Let's be honest. And oftentimes, it's guilt and shame that keeps us that way because that's what Satan wants us to believe. Satan wants us to believe that the sin that we struggle with is greater, like God's never going to forgive us of it. Let me just tell you guys something today. The devil is a 100% liar. There is absolutely no truth in him. So everything he says and he does, it's a lie. So these, this, these things that keep us on a mat, and they keep us from going to Jesus. It's important that we have small groups. It's important that you stay in fellowship. Because church, we all need four faithful friends. They're not, willing to, they're not worried about if you get offended or not if they come to you and they say, brother or sister, I'm worried about you. I think you're struggling. They're not worried that you're going to get offended. They're more worried about your soul and your life than they are of your opinion if they're offended or not. We could all use more friends like that, Right? And the Bible tells us that we're, we're, we're to make allowances for each other's weaknesses. And we also need to know this, too, that sometimes truth is offensive. We know that because the Apostle Paul, who when he was talking to people in Galatia, they loved him. And he's preaching truth to him. And he says in Galatians chapter 4, verse 16, he says, Have I now become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Truth will sometimes cause us to get enemies. But we need to be friends that are not worried about that. We need to be more worried about our friends and say to them, the most important thing you need right now is to get in front of Jesus. Because if you get in front of Jesus, he's going to make everything right. You can't get in the presence of Jesus and not get happy. You can't get in the presence of Jesus and not get right. There's something about Jesus' presence that just makes everything make sense. He is an amazing Savior. And so notice this last point that I want to bring. This is amazing. Where the crowd wouldn't make way, when Jesus told them to get up and walk, everything split. What's that tell us? Man might not make a way for you, but God always will. God will always make a way for us when man doesn't. Because God loves us and he cares for us. And he has deep passion for us. And so we continue in the story here that we see that Jesus heals this man because of these four faithful friends. And this man walks out with his mat. Isn't that an absolutely incredible? I, I, I brought this to the attention of church this morning. I was just thinking, it, thinking about it while I was up here. Y'all listen, it did, it does, the Bible doesn't say anything about this man had never walked. Can you imagine how small his legs were, the tendons, the muscles, everything, the balance, all that stuff? And Jesus says, get up, and the guy gets up. Can you imagine the look on his face when he walked out? I bet he was whistling Andy Griffith right out the door. The guy was absolutely happy. Listen, church, think about that for a minute. 
Can you imagine the joy that he felt for the first time in his life to step on his feet that God gave him and to walk out when he saw all the kids as a kid play, when he saw dads walking their daughters and their sons and playing with them. This man never got to do that. And here he sits in front of Jesus and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, get up. And he walks out. That man had a big smile on his face. Amen? And he walked right out of that room and listened, and they made way for him. Because God will always make a way for us, even when man won't. Don't ever forget that. So the story continues on. Jesus has this interaction with them. And then the scriptures say that Jesus left this house later on, and he goes down back to the sea. And here we find Matthew, the tax collector. And Matthew, and I realized that Matthew would have been there because... Y'all, in this truth to this, anytime we get paid, Uncle Sam's like, well, my part, right? He always wants to get his share. No different than, and listen, people hated tax collectors. They notorious for being disliked. Think about this for a minute. You know, I started feeling for Matthew as I reflected on the scriptures. And here's why. If he was known as one of the lowest forms of people, he probably didn't have a lot of friends. If you've ever been without friends, that's a lonely place to be. And you know what? God gave him the gift of math. And so can you then imagine you're good at it and it empowers you and gives you passion to do a job and you're hated for it? This man had this against him. Life probably didn't make much sense. God, I love math. I'm, I'm good with math. I do this. This is how I take care of my family. And people despise me. And Jesus shows up. Because Jesus is a friend of sinners. And Jesus wants us to belong. Because, when, because the fact that God gave us life, that means God gives us purpose. And so God had a purpose for Matthew. So he goes and he meets with Matthew, and Matthew gets excited. Same thing. His face, the smile. I have a friend. Oh, and by the way, this is that guy that everybody's been talking about. He had probably already heard about the guy walking out in the mat. So he's probably very intrigued. So he invites Jesus to come to his home, and Jesus does. And we know the story, y'all. The religious people stick their lip out. They're mad. They're pouty. They're upset. How dare you meet with these people and sit with these people and dine with these people? And they start judging Jesus. Y'all, while this is all going on, watch what else happens. Enter another story. Jesus is with these group of people, and Jairus shows up. And Jairus is a, he's a leader at a synagogue. Listen, very well-respected man. He'd be a church-going folk. Leader. He shows up, and he tells Jesus, Jesus, my only daughter is about to die. I need you. And so he interrupts this party. And so Jesus gets up, and he goes. And y'all, can you imagine the crowds that went with him? There's a number of people, because we know the scriptures talk about that. And so as Jesus is walking out to go to where Jairus' daughter is to help, enters another story. A woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. Nonstop. So what it says in Luke. 
As Jesus went with them, he was surrounded by the crowds. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. And she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe, and immediately the bleeding stopped. And Jesus said, who touched me? I found a bunch of amazing things. If you guys, and I'm not going to spend a whole bunch of time there, but you want to bring in context of what's happening there. We look at that and we're like, that's cool. You know, that's, is that a big deal and everything? It's a huge deal. Let me tell you why. Because in Leviticus chapter 15, listen how a woman was treated when she was on her cycle. It's crazy. She would be ceremonial, unclean for seven days. Anyone who touches her during that time will be unclean until evening. Remember, they went from 6 a.m. to 6 at night. Remember, that was a day. And so anything on which the woman lies or sits during the time would be unclean. If any of you touch her bed, you must wash your clothes and bathe yourself in water, and you remain unclean until the evening. If you touch any object she has sat on, you wash your clothes and bathe yourself in water, and you remain unclean all until evening. This includes her bed or any other object she has sat on. You'll be unclean, unclean, unclean evening until you touch it. If a man was with this woman, then he was unclean for seven days. And then, listen, it goes on saying that after, after she had to go through this, then she had to go through seven days of being purified, a ceremonial. For 14 days, she dealt with that. What a pain in the neck. This woman dealt with that for 12 years straight. And the scripture said that she gave everything she had. You know what's so important about us understanding that? She put herself into poverty. She became a beggar like the paralyzed man. That's a big deal. And so, do you know another thing that's interesting about this story is the fact in light of what I just read, the woman does not touch Jesus' body. She touches his robe. Because She was a very smart woman as well. Y'all, because watch, if she knew what was going on and she was paying attention, Jesus was going to see Jairus' daughter. It was a life or death situation. And so by touching Jesus' robe, we don't know what time it was, but say it was 5.30. In her mind, if she touched his robe for 30 minutes, Jesus was unclean. He couldn't do anything. But if she touched him... For seven days, Jesus would have been ceremonial unclean and not be able to do anything. Think about that for a moment. So she touches his robe. Now, if you're Jairus, and you know this woman and what she's been going through, and you know how the community sees her, and she's touched Jesus, and Jesus says, who touched me? And then she hides. Think about that. Y'all, I want to confess something today. If God, for some reason, would allow me to get sick and have some kind of ailment for 12 years, and he heals me, all y'all are going to know about it. I ain't hiding for nobody. I mean, I'm telling, I'm telling my neighbors. I'm telling their neighbors. I'm telling the news. Everybody's going to know what Jesus did for me. I'm not going to hide. I don't mean that boastful. I'm just saying I can't keep my big mouth shut. When Jesus does something for me, I'm going to let people know. But this woman hid and cowered. This is why. Because she wasn't supposed to touch him. She was afraid of religion and how they would condemn her. And so notice what our precious Savior does. He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. 
Why was that such a big thing? Because this woman had no peace. She couldn't have kids. She couldn't have a husband. She get, her whole life she spent trying to find a cure just to be normal because life didn't make sense. And I love Jesus would have known, listen, he would have known the tension in this, with the people and he would have known what was going on with Jairus and that Jairus was probably thinking, I can't believe you did that. My daughter, she's about to die. Like he was probably thinking, you've been bleeding for 12 years. What's another couple hours? And yet, Jesus looks at Jairus and he's like, don't worry. He's like, I love, he's like, relax. Like I'm here, right? Then he goes to the house and this is the last story we carry on and we're gonna wrap this all together. So when Jesus goes to this house, he enters this house and there's all these people mourning because the little girl's passed. Aren't you glad God knows things we don't know? Because God looked at these people and he said to them, she's not dead, she's sleeping. And then they laughed at him. They mocked him. They thought maybe Jesus had a little bit too much wine at the party. So Jesus clears the room. Imagine with me for a minute, you're the mom. Your daughter's chest isn't compressing up and down anymore. It's only daughter. Maybe, maybe they had 20 miscarriages. We don't know. And now your only baby is left with no life in her. And some guy comes in and says she's asleep. What would you be thinking? Would you feel like he mocked you? He clears the room. And he tells her to get up. And she gets up, and the first thing he tells her to do is get something to eat. And she gets up. You know, when I was talking about the smile on the face of the guy with a paralytic, right? And then we talk about the smile of, we talk about the, the joy that Matthew would have felt. And then how about the joy of the woman who was healed, and then Jesus stood up for her, The king of the world stood up for her. And now, imagine you're the mom, and you go from this massive sorrow to all of a sudden you're like, can you imagine the... The roller coasters of emotion. Your daughter's alive now and she's eating right in front of you. And you, you could have swore she was dead. The joy that would have overtaken her. Speaking of joy. This summer um, at our church, this wasn't a Youth for Christ event, but I had, I had the privilege to take 20 kids to Milwaukee in the inner city and do some mission work. And it was, it was pretty unique, y'all, because um, here's the thing. The, uh, we, didn't, we didn't sleep in beds. We all had to take community showers down at a local area. The food was horrible. Sorry, I'm just going to put it where it is. It was horrible. It was hot. There was no AC. And then the biggest fear we had was the kids couldn't have their cell phones for five days. And I was like, Lord Jesus, please, right? But listen, nobody complained. So we went up there and we did this ministry, and we got to meet all kinds of people. Went to nursing homes, went to a home of a, of a man who spent his 30 years, all of his life doing social work for young people. On his 30-year anniversary, his wife left him for his anniversary. Took everything from him except for the home. A year later, he had a massive heart attack, and today only 50% of his heart's actually working. And his relationship with his only daughter is strained. And me and 13 kids were assigned to go to this man's house. And he had dead possums. and all, I mean, the house was just, a, it was a mess on the outside. 
and we cleaned the house on the outside. We did all kinds of work for him. We spent the whole day there. And he looked at these kids and he said, my house has not looked that good in two years. And the joy that was on his face was something I'll never forget. Fast forward a little bit. There's a, there's a, in Milwaukee, something happened, y'all, in 2016 where it was just about to be another St. Louis. An African-American was killed by a cop. And, I mean, the tensions were high. And a pastor from an assembly of God seen what was going on. And on Sunday morning, they had all these people out there protesting and everything. He took 400 people from his congregation, and they walked out there for service and had service with everybody that was fighting. And God calmed everything. We never heard about it. Why? Because God intervened. Well, that neighborhood, they have drive-bys a lot. One of our missions were to go there, and we set up a grill. It was huge, and to feed the community. And so when we went out, as we're driving, the kids started verbalizing because they, they warned us. They're like, we're afraid. I'm like, I'm afraid too. Like, and you start getting nervous, and then you have this, like, because you're in charge of all these kids, and you're like, Jesus, I really need you to put some kind of protection around us and all this kind of stuff. And here, here's the thing. The greatest protection we have is patience and kindness. And so we went out, and we cooked probably five, 600 burgers and hot dogs. And listen, y'all, you know what happened? It was a big party. People started coming out of their houses, and we were playing basketball with them, and hops got all kinds of stuff. Nobody got mad. And so we leave, and I'm thinking of the joy and the look and the, the kids that we met that day and how it impacted our kids, and we got back. And I got to experience one of the coolest things. I'll, I'll never forget this. We got back, and the leaders of the youth works put all of our teams in chairs by the number of kids that we had, and they dimmed the lights and they began to worship, and the worship leader walked up, and she knelt down in front of me, and she pulls out this basin full of water, and she looked at me, and she says, can I wash your feet? And she washed my feet, and then she challenged me to begin to wash the kids' feet. My daughter went with me, my little baby girl, and hers was the first feet that I got to. As I began to wash her feet, I started to reflect. I remember when them little feet were so small, I could put them in my mouth and chew on them. As I'm sitting there experiencing that moment with my daughter, God reminded me that my daughter's feet are chasing after him. I don't care what my daughter becomes in society as long as she follows Jesus. It was one of the most intimate moments I've ever had with my kids. The joy that I left with, something I'll never forget, the smile, that moment to pray for her, for her, to weep, her and I to weep together, was something I'll never forget. Left with all this joy, now, this is kind of a big picture of what this looked like. Here's Jesus in all these things that are going on. The community, the paralyzed man, the woman, Matthew, Jairus, the people in the home, the disciples, the Pharisees, the teacher of the laws, all these people, okay, all of them. In the beginning, 
This is what I think Jesus looked like to them. He was a little blurry. They heard stories of him. But I do, think, I do think life didn't make sense. And so this Jesus guy, life wasn't 2020. They weren't sure, right? Life wasn't making sense. And so when Jesus showed up and he moved, they started to see a clearer picture of who he was. But let me show you something, you guys, that's really interesting. Did you know that there's 2,203 Jesus Christ names in the Bible? References. I struggle with one. When my mom said Mark Matthew, that's when I knew I needed to run and hide somewhere. Because anytime the middle name, anybody here got the middle name and you knew, I'm out. Like, I'm gone, right? Think about this. Jesus has 2,203 different names that the scriptures refer to him about. I bring this up because of this. Who, did you, who was Jesus to all these people, and how do you think they seen him? Like, for example, the paralyzed man. Why wasn't he the one that wanted to be healed? How did he see Jesus? Was he skeptical? Did he doubt? Because he, his whole life and the way he was treated, did he have doubts? We don't know. Life didn't make sense. But how did the four friends see him? Those men were determined. They, listen, they believed that Jesus was a healer, right? And so that's how they seen him. Same thing with Matthew, the tax collector. Jesus made him belong. But how did he see Jesus prior to that? Just that, listen, was it just the guy that would be with the rest of the crowds and leave him out the way most people did? We don't know. We don't know, but what is he, how did he see him afterwards? After Jesus spent time with him, life became more clear. Same thing with the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. She, she trusted enough. Listen, we know that she was determined because we know she spent her whole life savings on everything and whatever doctors couldn't do. She, I feel like she was like, this is my last hope. It's this guy who can do it. And he did. So how did she see him afterwards? How did she follow him afterwards? How many people got saved because of this woman? Jarius, his daughter. You know what I like about the daughter story? Imagine dying and then the first person you see when you open your eyes is Jesus. Lucky girl. We're going to get to see that one day, but she got to see it. She'll get to see it twice. How about the wife? I think she saw Jesus as crazy at first, and then she was, like, astonished. How about the entire community that watched all this happen, the skeptics, the religious leaders? You know, the religious leaders are the only ones that didn't understand Jesus' name because of the names they called him. is not how God defines him. The religious leaders... 12 disciples. Y'all were left with these stories of this verse, though. (laughs) And I was perplexed putting this together because God kept bringing this verse. God has elevated him to a place of the highest honor and gave him the name above all names. That the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I kept thinking to myself, why are you keep bringing this verse to me? I'm like, it's not even in Luke. How is this? I was like, help me, Jesus. And y'all, when the light came on, you know you have those moments with God and the scriptures and they, he speaks to you through the Holy Spirit and you're like, I'm gonna absolutely run around this house and go nuts, okay? Well, I had one of those. Maybe y'all don't do that, but maybe it's a southern in me. But this is what dawned on me. When Jesus spoke, 
(laughs) Whatever damage held the man's paralyzed body, it had to let go. It could not hold him grip anymore. It had no grip on him because Jesus spoke and told it to let go. The woman who had been bleeding for 12 years nonstop, when Jesus, when she touched the hem of his robe, something in Jesus told it to stop and the bleeding had to cease. And then finally, when Jesus went to Jairus' house and Jesus told death to let go of his daughter, death had to let go. Because church, whenever Jesus shows up, tongues are confessing and knees are bowing because Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? Jesus Christ is Lord. And listen, that same God, is this, that same Jesus is in our heart. And listen, we need to be bowing and confessing before him on a daily basis. Because when life doesn't make sense, he always does. His name always makes sense out of life. Because we need him. And Jesus will turn all wrongs into right. And church, this is what's so amazing, is we, what God was showing me was, Mark, they were bowing and confessing when I walked the earth, and they're going to bow and fe- confess when I split that eastern sky open. That ought to make us all want to run out of here and tell somebody, amen? amen? Jesus is coming back. But listen, he wants us to live our life with him the most here while we're on this earth. We don't have to wait to get there to experience him. I was saying, I, I love people, this, let, I'm going to get ahead of myself, so let's wrap this all up. What do we learn from these four stories? And by the way, Greg, I love you, brother, because I would have never thought to put that together with my ADD. He put something together for y'all to put some points off, and so you might want to do that. So what did we learn? When life doesn't make sense, I hope you take away this, this week and remember this. Number one, choose, choose faithful friends who will get you to Jesus no matter what. Y'all do that? Uh, no, <clears throat> sometimes I think people might think that we talked or whatever. Like the last time I talked to Greg, he was coming over the edge of a building. <laughs> and neither one of us were thinking about talking about Sunday school. I was praying. I got real close to Jesus on that edge. Um, very close to Jesus on that edge. In fact, I caught up with all my prayer time, those moments coming down that wall. But I want to say this. When they were advertising those small groups, the older I get and the longer I follow God, the more I need this. I need people in my life. Because I know that I have, a, I know what my mat is that keeps me paralyzed. And I want people who are not worried about offending me. They love me enough to offend me. Offend me. If it's about Jesus, offend me all you want. Choose faithful friends that will take you to Jesus no matter what. No matter what. That's what we can learn from the first story. Second one, remember your calling. Glorify God. And here's the thing. You know, Matthew was a tax collector, but his job was just as important as a pastor's job. You know why? Because God is the God, and he's over everything secular and over everything spiritual. You know why? Because he's God. He controls it all. And I think sometimes we divide. We, it's a way for us to divide the, the world and, and God. But here's, here's the truth. Some of the most amazing people I've ever met are people that run businesses. And they're some of the most godly and generous people I've ever met. And their calling is to lead companies and share Christ that way. Their pulpit is behind a desk. Engineer behind a desk. Your pulpit is in there. Don't don't ever elevate one or the other. God's going to use you wherever you're at. And he wants to use you. Isn't that good news? Your position, let me say this, your title... The title that we all have, in my mind, that's greater than any title we can think about, is we're a child of God. No title gets higher than that. We're a child of the king. 
So remember your calling and glorify God in it, regardless of what you're doing. It doesn't matter what your position is. Glorify him. Number three, God gave me this. You'll never face a circumstance in your life that is greater than what Jesus Christ can handle. I want you to read that again because notice you might not be able to handle it, but he can. And you're his kid. And so I'm glad to know that when life doesn't make sense and I can't seem to make sense of it and it gets too big for me, the bowing and confessing needs to start. Hey, Jesus, your Lord, you got this. It's bigger than I can understand and it's more than I can comprehend. But I know this, if I bow and I confess, you make things happen. Never forget that. Number four, choose to trust God and always be grateful. And I really believe that comes, that comes out of this, this story with Jairus and his daughter. Let me explain why. You see, Jairus didn't necessarily trust Jesus so much in the beginning because of what was going on. Because, and his wife, right? Like they were, people laughed at him and they mocked and they thought his daughter was dead. And I do believe that when Jesus raised her, I do believe that mom and dad were very, very grateful. How many of y'all have ever had Jesus do something in your life and you're just so grateful for it, Can it, right? You're just grateful. You know what I want you to remember about the gratefulness? Is that life doesn't have to make sense to be grateful. You know that? We need more grateful. We, we should be the most grateful people on this, on this earth. Do you know why? No matter what happens in our government and leadership and all this other kind of stuff, let me take you back to Philippians. One, Jesus, one day Jesus is coming back, and they're all going to bow and confess. Make no mistake about it. He is not mocked, and the people that run our world will stand account one day. We already won. We should live from a life of victory. And living a life of victory is living a life that's grateful because you know why? Life doesn't need to make sense to be grateful for it. Because life, regardless of our circumstance, is a gift from God. Therefore, above all, be grateful that God has given you the gift of life and live your life by continuing to trust him even when life doesn't make sense. It doesn't take, you can be grateful. You can just be grateful. Y'all, when I, when I opened my eyes this morning, the first thing I seen was my wife snoring. <laughs> She's going to kill me. <laughs> but there she was. I've been with her 24 years. Two beautiful kids. I opened my eyes this morning. I seen her. I'm standing here today looking at y'all. Humbled by the opportunity that God would even give me a platform to brag on him. But I'm here. Life is in me. How can I not be grateful for that? If I'm in a bad situation, if I'm breathing and I'm standing in it, that means God's not done with me. Church, we need to work on being grateful. Regardless of what happens around us, and when life doesn't seem to make sense, be grateful. Kathy, 
I'm going to ask you again this, this time. I, uh, I, y'all, we're in our, you're a parent and stuff, you know, like school started this week and, uh, you know what that's like to get kids ready and then, you know, college and got a son in college and you know what that's like to be scrambling and all kinds of stuff going on. And, you know, I, I, I was, con- I was, I was airing out some of my sin in the first service, Aaron, and I was confessing that we do two services at our church. And the first one, and Daniel's a great speaker, and I'm engaged and connected, and then we go through the second one, and just, here's my confession. About 11.30, my stomach starts reminding me that it's hungry, okay? And I start thinking of where we're going to go to eat and all this other kind of stuff. Anybody, right? And I'm not really hearing what the pastor's saying, and how many times have I went back and listened to the second one, I'm like, that was for me, but I was thinking about chicken or whatever. And so I say that to you guys this morning because right now what I don't want is us to be tempted for that. What I want to do is, as we were, she was singing this song about the beauty of God's name. Can we take a moment, let everything go, and speak back to him who what he is? He's beautiful. He's our God. Will you worship with me as we go out of here today? And honestly, will you please let everything go that you came in with? And will you focus on Jesus Christ? Thank you.